<laughs> we've literally just had we've got two young lads that one's traveling the world at the moment but he started with us literally because he was playing on the pitch next to us and we, we were short so we just dragged them across <laughs> <laughs> and they've just been coming ever since oh wow could so. you get a source team together a source we have had we do and often it's like we're awful v, you'll have a 5v5 <sighs> and for, for years we lost every game but yeah, we, but <laughs> we, 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 I think we've won one game, haven't we? No, we won that now. We got really? a, we've got we've got a, uh, a QA called Matchex, who's a skillful footballer, so he's a great recruit. Right. Yeah. He, Is that uh, what you look for nowadays? Your CV seems to be predominantly work based, but I'm yeah. really interested in your football. Don't worry about the suit. Just bring your boots. Yeah. <laughs> So welcome to the podcast, John Polling and Jim Wardlow. Uh, who wants to go first in terms of introductions? Jim, Ward give, us a, give us a bit about yourself. Sorry, Wardlaw. We'll Wardlaw, we'll sorry. That in the first. That's um, a good point. So, uh, yeah, well, Jim, I'm um, Chief of Business Development at Source and one of the co-founders. So I came up to Hull for university in about 2000, 2000, yeah, no, no years after that. So... Um, worked a few jobs around the city in a couple of small web agencies and um, then turned freelance, got to know John through the, the tech scene at the time. He used to put on an event on Prinny Ave. And then when C4DI um, sort of came along, we were sort of members three and four two or three, two and three. Yeah. And um, we both run our own little startups, but we're also working on a lot of projects together, freelancing. Um, and at some point we decided it would be a good idea to, to join forces and, and team up with another couple of guys, both called Matt, uh, to start Handy. Source. Yeah. So so when was that? When did C4DI start? Because I think I remember it. Uh, well, the beta was, hang on, so we, Source has been going seven, seven years. Um, wow. And it was about another year and, it must be about another two years on top of that, C4DI beta was a thing. So yeah, it must be, yes, we must, must be around 10 years. Okay. So you've been going seven years, and um, we'll get into your second job. But what, yeah, so what what size is Source now in terms of employees? How many people you got? Uh, from July, we'll be around forty, I think. Yeah, forty. Wow, that's that's quite some scale up. Yeah, it was really. We had a phase of obviously when we first set up, it was just like the four is. It was never meant to happen. It was just it was meant <laughs> to be a nice <laughs> little boutique. Never yeah, is. Yeah. A nice little boutique for us to to write some nice code and, and then work on projects we want to. We were busy, and we thought we just need a couple more. And then a couple more came, and then we had a couple more, and then we had a couple more, and it's just, yeah, there was one particular year, it was just just going like crazy, getting more and more hires. Um, but yeah, and COVID didn't really change an awful lot for us in that sense either. We still, you know, we onboarded a new employee in the middle of lockdown, and that was a weird experience for us, but... Um, I joined here during lockdown. I mean, well, day, f day three of me joining... Sent everybody home on lockdown. Wow. That, was, that was weird. Yeah, um, how, how did you find that in terms of just adjusting? Because yeah, odd. I mean, I'm pleased I had those three days <laughs> just to, <laughs> just to shake hands and show people that I was real. Uh, but then, mm. yeah, then it was weird just trying to, especially when you're managing a team as well yeah. from home, not knowing them. It's, it's difficult. But I'm pleased to be back in the office now. It's good. Yeah, we had to just sort of main challenge was was working out what to do with all the hardware we had to get around to all the various homes yeah. and stuff so uh, we had sort of people playing postman but like tech businesses probably were better set up than most i think to deal yeah, with that if we yeah. can do it no one's going to be able to do it right yeah exactly so all right brilliant so thank you jim john give us a bit of a potted history of yourself then um well i grew up in the same woods uh, neck of the woods as you um, yep. so sunny boston um brexit capital of the 
of the world. Just just if we do have listeners at that don't live in Lincolnshire or South Yorkshire, not not Boston in the US. Yeah, which uh, everyone always gets. In fact, yeah. I went to a cricket match the other day and somebody couldn't make it. He was off into Boston and everyone was like, Boston where? And they were all immediately <laughs> like Massachusetts. He was like, no. <laughs> it's um, only Lincolnshire. Yeah, I got it all the time at uni as well. It's like, yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, um, there is also New York near there as well. There is weirdly, which yeah. is very different to the, yeah, uh, tiny. the Manhattan, New York. So. <laughs> um, sorry. Um, yeah. So um, ended up going to Aston Uni. Uh, met my wife from uh, there, and she was from Hull, so ended up here. Uh, worked in the tech scene in Hull for a long time now. Um, worked. I actually, when I originally came up here, I was doing a lot of freelancing um, and kind of realised I needed to start a whole new network moving from Birmingham to uh, yeah. to Hull. So I uh, worked at a company called The White Agency who do a, well, do a lot of marketing or to do a lot of marketing for uh, the Swift Caravan Group. Um, and then met people like John Moss, John Connolly and started to do sort of some bits and pieces around sort of Hull Digital. I, as Jim said, I ran the Hull Digital Developer Meetup for quite a few years um which was great but also really hard work just asking people to come and do like talks you have to mm. really twist people's arms there's loads of really good people out there who've got some really good interesting things to talk about um but just trying to encourage them to come and do those talks is is hard work but uh, you know the feeling <coughs> yeah. i never ever got jim to do one really yeah he always said he'd do one as long as he had his guitar in front of him um but stage that, right yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh and yeah then sort of met jim through those events we kind of did lots of freelance bits and pieces together and kind of it grew from there into 40 employees i guess so, you, so you're both coders at heart mm-hmm. I'm, do you spend much time writing code nowadays, or is that many years behind you? No, um, I've definitely written lines of code this year. Yeah, um, yeah. I shipped quite a small little MVP for a client recently, um, so I don't think Jim and I will ever truly let go. No, I, I had a good streak recently, about sixty days of not opening up VS Code, but I broke that a couple of days ago. Do you miss it? I do, and I don't. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll leave it there. Okay. Um, so, I mean, growing a business to forty employees in seven years, as we know, that's 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 some growth actually. And it's you say it's not something that you kind of deliberately planned. Is that fair? Yeah. Um, originally, it was just the business was just uh, to enable us to work on interesting projects. Yeah. Um, and we'd focus on you know like IoT tech and things like that, which sort of left some of the more boring jobs on the on the table there because it wasn't really what we were were interested in um but then the demand it was around i guess the iphone the amplification of everything internet apps and all of that and there was a lot of design and marketing agencies who didn't have that skill in-house so mm-hmm. inevitably that work was out there if you wanted it and yeah we sort you of did. Yeah, yeah i always felt fairly confident as well like i worked with a lot of marketing agencies i knew how they worked i knew what they needed so i was quite comfortable going and talking to people like that um but also just you know being based in c4di was really really helpful for us um you know the fact that one of our earliest clients was siemens gamesa or siemens as they were at the time um, we built a hr system for them we wouldn't have had that opportunity to as if we you know if they weren't already sort of aware of c4di talking to people at c4di you know it, it definitely helped open that door for us um and then i guess a similar situation with ideal heating uh, boilers as they were at the time mm. um sort of you know who would have looked at four 
four clowns in a room and said, you can build us an <laughs> IoT system, right? So, um, but we did, and we built them an IoT, IoT system. They'd tried to do it for about the previous 18 months with a different agency, um, got nowhere. Um, within three months, we'd got sort of proof that we could basically send a command from a mobile phone app to, to their um, boiler uh, and turn it on and off. Uh, I remember the demo showing it to them, they were like, this is brilliant, this is absolutely brilliant. We, we have not, yeah, we've we've waited so long to get to this stage. That must have been a great feeling when you when you get customers in the room or prospective customers in, the, the, you know, the, the jaw-dropping moment where they're like, that's brilliant, we're off yeah, and running now. it's weird, we, we always knew we could do it as well. Like, we knew we'd get the project and we knew we could we could definitely do what was required of the work. It, it, honestly, it's just pushing data around different mm. network points, ultimately. It's, it's not rocket science, we're not, you know, building super complex things it's it's moving data around and just understanding how to do that efficiently so have you found a bit of a kind of niche i guess that you guys operate in what's your what's your sweet spot in terms of software development oh well i'd say we're kind of finding it because we suffered originally from just picking all the interesting projects not focusing on on a domain Um, but so we, we kind of have different teams now who are specialists in different domains so we've got like the the heating uh, the heating area and, and the guys the teams that are working on that have been working on it two or three years now so they're they're kind of like experts of that. Other side we've got a lot of work in logistics, um, so a lot of knowledge has grown there. As John said, HR and and shift ma- management and things like that. So, but we're trying to sort of focus a little and and start looking for work more like what we've already done, so we can, I guess, bring more value to uh, mm. to the customer. <coughs> And where does your work come from? You said you're responsible for business development. Is that I right? am now, yeah, not <laughs> always, but yeah. <laughs> that, that must be, that's quite a career change from being a, a coder back in the day to yep, knocking yep. on doors, winning I'm business, still learning. signing deals. Yeah, no, it's it's been interesting. We've been to quite a few um, events recently. So we went to uh, Multimodal. I just spent two weeks in, camped up in the NEC. Fun. Oh, it's a lovely city, Birmingham, but I've, I've had enough <laughs> for a while. <laughs> Um, so that was really interesting. So just sort of going around, because we, we, we built this system for Nestle and GXO, who were two giants in the industry. Mm. Um, but then we sort of just left it there a little bit. You know, we, we maintained it and we added to it, but we didn't really go out there to see who else had, had similar problems. So we started doing that and, oh man, there's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot really? of work out there. Yeah, it's really surprising. Um from that industry how so, so there's a lot of technology in certain places but in other times you know it's just spreadsheets still or even notes and bits of paper things like the warehouse they seem to be a lot more automated you've got robots flying mm-hmm. around there yeah, and yeah. amazon has definitely helped help that but outside the warehouse um not so much especially when you have lots of different companies working together so you just haven't got one one company running all the all the trucks into a yard you've got you know 20 different companies so you can't rely on them all having the same the sensor same, on their truck yeah. or hardware and stuff like that how but did you find obviously a couple of weeks um in in birmingham going to the mm-hmm. nec you know probably tired of it by the end but how did you, when we when i met you two um we were visitors to, yes. a, to an exhibition yeah um and obviously by the sounds of it you've now gone to the other side and you've been exhibitors yeah how uh or tours yeah even. that was our research and development trip yeah yeah exactly yeah. yeah um <laughs> how 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 did you find it on the other side of the fence if you will and and you know what what were the pluses and or the takeaways positive and negative um take a stool 
<laughs> would, would be the one thing we learned from. We had to steal a couple in the end, just just to give their legs a break. But um, no, we learned. It was just really interesting speaking to people um, and hearing about all the different problems that they've got, but also working out, trying to find out early how much does that problem cost them because everyone will come up to you with loads of problems about what's going wrong with their job and how technology could solve it. But a lot of the time, it's not worth solving it mm. because either it doesn't happen often enough or it's going to be very expensive to find a solution. So. Yeah. I do love having those conversations and I won't just drop it when I find out, you know, there's no budget there or anything. But at the same time, I think it's important that you try and sort of steer those discussions to something that's achievable and not just some sort of black mirror yeah, pipe dream. dream. It's, yeah. it's interesting as well, isn't it? Like how often people go, oh yeah, we'll just get text to do it. And they've got no concept of just technology is expensive. There's no two ways about it. You know, having a tech solution sunk is never going to be a cheap option up front. You know, it's going to cost you a fair wedge. Long term, great. You'll get, you know, you'll get investment. You'll get your return. But it's, yeah, you've got to, you've got to accept when you go into a project, you're going to spend, definitely. And it costs in their time as well. Like, yeah, the way we work, it's, you know, it's agile. There'll be a dedicated team on that client. But the product owner, their side is is one of the most important roles. And if they don't have the time or the agency in their own company to, to make decisions or, or, or find information out, it, you know, tough, tough project. It's it's it turns into a slog. Yeah. And is it do you see it as like a full time role for that product owner for that organization or is it depending on the size of the project? But the really good ones. Yeah, it's yeah. a full time role. And if, and if they're spending a lot of money as well, it, it warrants it. But, um, you know, there are projects which are not so big in scale that perhaps it can be 50 percent of their role. But if you're talking like a year long, two, three year long mm. project and yeah. it's not a full time product owner, you're having you're in trouble. Yeah, you've, really. you've got to really drop them into that. Yeah, scrum that, team that is their role. Yeah. yeah. And th- we've had loads of success with that with like with idea or the that's what they've done they've hired people especially for that role and you know built up a really good relationship with with our teams um and it's you know it's a f- it is just a fully sort of collaborative process mm. I was just about to say co- you know collaboration yeah. is the key isn't it and some of our larger clients if you will where we've had that product owner nigh on full-time mm. or certainly full-time as in they've got maybe two or three projects but th- that's their focus that's where we probably had the most efficient and streamlined delivery because you've got someone at the other end who's not worried about half oh, now I've got to do month end or, or whatever you know from our finance side of things it, it there's less distraction in it. it's fully focused on right I need to drive that and I, I'll go back into the business and say I need you to test this feedback etc then we get the feedback to be able to work on the you know the, the snag list if you will hi guys just jumping in I want to talk about one of the services we offer which is robotic process automation also known as RPA that is software that replicates human behavior. So if you've got people downloading spreadsheets, attaching them to emails, going on portals, downloading information, moving data around, all that stuff is perfect for a robot. So if that's interesting, get in touch. Let's have a chat. Let's see if we can help. Enough from me. Back to the conversation. I think 70, 80% of the success or not of a project is dependent on how engaged the stakeholders are from from the client side. Yeah. And I think you re- you realise that quite quickly, whether we're, we're in a good position or not, or whether we've got some more work to do. You were given a nodding kind of look as Jim was talking about, yeah, you've got to understand whether it's really worth it for the client. So why? why? Explain well, that. 
well, very much as, as, as Jim said, because ultimately everyone and John about, you know, it, it's technology to start with. The upfront cost is is, is sizable or can mm-hmm. be sizable. But ultimately, when I go on my side of, you know, from the sales side is understanding the problem, but then understanding the worth, you know, the, the cost of the problem versus the cost of the solution. And when are you going to get that, um, that payback? And one of the things I focus on, because I'm not very technical, is is like you know I'm, a couple of things I do is manage the process, um, you know the the, the discovery, the, the sales process, but also build the business case and build it as quickly as possible to ultimately lose quickly. I'd I'd rather have a meeting and at the end of it, and I had one recently where I was like, do you know what? I could probably cobble something together, not in a very efficient, you know, but we can put something together. Is it going to be efficient for you? No. Is it going to be costly? Yes. Is it a big enough, you know, is your problem big enough for all of that? No. And, you know, thanks. You know, really, the best thing is that, you know, I've, I've learned a bit about your business, but your time is valuable. My time is valuable. I think we're better off just, you know, in the nicer sense, going our, our different ways, because ultimately you can put a lot of, especially probably from your guys side of things, because you're building everything in the main from scratch. Mm-hmm. Um, you can, yeah. You, know, you potentially don't want to get way down the line demos, proof of concepts, and they go, oh, do you know, what? I've, obviously you're going to find out beforehand. But oh, actually, yeah, I've only got hundred grand, and you're like, yeah. yeah, I need four times that for mm-hmm. us to even get to an MVP per mm-hmm. se. Um, so yeah, I for me, it's very important from the outset, from my first appointment to my discovery appointment, to actually start building what are the pains, how often. And then in my head, start building the costs up and then getting that uh, qualified by the prospect for them to go, do you know what, actually, yeah, this is, you know, this is costing me, you know, I'm just about to employ two more people. All right, well, pause on the thought of employing two more people because potentially we could put something in that will take care of the two additional employees. Now we all want to employ people, but but we also want efficiency as as well. So yeah, on that, Steve, the, the... business case the building of that losing quickly or developing it you know positively with everyone in in aligned with the fact that it's going to cost in the you know the regions of this is is the yeah, where we've had our success where we've got part, transparency early doors keep part of our sales process just understand that business case as quickly as possible and if it do not float tell them and you know if things change in two or three years time businesses grow and that that pain might have grown to a point where the ROI is there and hopefully you've got some credibility off the back of having that honest conversation up front so but just on that sorry Steve um what's when you have those sort of discussions with your either your clients or your prospective clients what what's the typical payback that, that you know period that they're wanting from because I'm getting some really varied ones some it's like less than 12 months and I'm like whoa moon on a stick and then others it's like well, actually yeah we, we'll we'll do it over three years four years I mean yeah it's it's about the same, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's you're gonna we just get a huge range, right? You mean think about like investing in an IoT project. A, a connected boiler is not, you know, it's not just our costs. It's not the development costs. It's the cloud costs. The, you know, the everyday running costs there. It's the building of a boiler and all the equipment that goes into that. There's the hard because we don't do hardware. We we're just doing with the software and the integration. Yeah. Um, the hardware team, you know, and all the the, the runs of sort of hardware that need building. Um, that connected device it's it's you know it's big money that, that gets invested it's a serious project when you get involved in sort of um iot um so you're looking for a long 
it's going to be a long-term turnaround in terms yeah. of getting some of your value back. But it, on the flip side, obviously, pretty much every customer nowadays wants a connected boiler, right? You just you expect it the in your house. You need it. to be able to yeah mm. nest everything, you know, yeah. and Tado and all the others kind of really kick-started it. But, you know, you've got no choice. You've got to do it. Um, and likewise with, obviously, the fact that boilers themselves as, as systems are coming to an end um, things like heat pumps coming down the line um, and all the other kind of smart tech that's out there around sort of heating your house you need you know you're going to have multiple devices in terms of energy in your house it's not just going to be a boiler anymore it's going to be your heat pump you're going to have your solar panels for heating your hot water etc it's going you know there's a lot of investment that's going in there in the industry at the moment because they know that's what the people are going to need, and if you don't do it, you're going to lose your business, right? As yeah. you know, it's really quite important for those boiler manufacturers to be moving with the times. Um, so you almost just don't get a choice as well. Mm. You know, it's either invest or watch. You know, watch someone else take over your business. Yeah, mm. yeah. I mean, that's that's fair. What where are, where else have you seen IoT being used? And, and I guess that's because that's quite a legacy business industry isn't it boilers been going for a long long time and then suddenly technology comes in and kind of disrupts that have you, have you done that in other sectors or has that been mainly yeah there's, there's a lot of it around tracking and tracking assets there's quite a few projects we've done tracking high-ish value items uh, around hospitals and places like that mm-hmm. we also worked on a project a few years ago now which was basically to turn your phone into a satellite phone Wow. Um, okay. What's the what's the use case for that? Uh, ex- going you know, trekking, going Explorers. trekking, going exploring, right. yeah. okay. not underwater. We'll leave that. Yeah. <laughs> the um, the the problem, obviously, that that market's gone now because your iPhone can connect to a satellite yeah. and make an SOS call. But this was what was it five years ago? Yeah, probably. Yeah, it was interesting. It was yeah. a big, big, rugged piece of kit that you put your phone in, like a almost like a case that had the antenna and connected via the by the USB port on your phone and then would connect to, you know, give you a, a very, very low internet connection. But yeah, I mean, you, you could browse Twitter on it. <laughs> well, we switched that functionality <laughs> off, but you could definitely you know, send text messages right. to home. You could make phone calls, you know, the really sort of low bandwidth stuff that you just need to do in terms of just keeping in contact with people. Um, but it, and that, I mean, satcoms is really expensive. Again, it's like the cost to an individual of having a SIM card is really high, and each sort of piece of data that you send is, you know, is not cheap. So you've got to really kind of compress that data as heavily as possible before sending it. Um, but yeah, as Jim said, then then Apple come along mm. and just destroy that market. <laughs> so uh, it's all isn't it? Um, so, but yeah, asset tracking is a real is a massive thing because obviously even like. You know, we've done a project for um, GXO, um, XPO, as they were, um, around tracking um, your actual, you know, your supermarket green tro- uh, trays. Mm-hmm. Those, those all need tracking. They all need washing. They all need. You need to know where they are at any moment in time. Are they, you know, a supplier to a farm? Are they in transit somewhere? Are they have they been washed? Have they gone through the wash cycle? Um, so GXO wow. run all that process, um, and they needed a piece of software to basically help them track those numbers because you know it's millions of trays um, turns out what you don't need is an individual tracking device That's, yeah you just need to think creatively around how you're recording that data you don't i mean we looked at some really nice small kind of little 
tracking stickers, which would basically suck energy out of uh, sort of things like Bluetooth devices around them and things like that, so they could every so often just transmit a bit of data out. Um, and that was it was quite impressive seeing that. And I don't think that is completely dead as a as an idea for GXO, but it's it's the cost for the value of those trades, right? Um, so you. Trades like a quid each, are they? Something yeah, like you don't have got a hundred pound chip in a one pound trade. Exactly. The lowest price you could get the stickers was five or ten p. So yeah, it's still right. You know, it's ten percent of the cost of it. Yeah. And people mm. just chuck them around and they go. Mm. Yeah, you know, they're going to get wet and get washed as well, so they've got to be waterproof. Mm. So yeah, so we just worked with them on how do you track this information without tracking it um, in a hardware sense. So, um, but that was quite a, a different challenge, a non-IoT related challenge. But it could have been, you know, an interesting IoT projects as well but um yeah it's been pretty successful kind of in with argos doing some stuff for stuff with them there so you're in with some proper kind of blue chip clients yeah how has that happened because that's difficult isn't it you don't just ring up boots and go kind of come and sorry not, um, argos whoever you said and xbo and you, you don't ring these companies up and say kind of come and talk to you or do you well, no, no. Well, I'm that I'm trying it now. Yeah. Um, but no, originally that connection it just comes through word of mouth. So we did the the like a yard management solution for Nestle. GXO run the site for them or one of the sites, and then I think yeah, just sort of word of mouth. They had this other pro- project. Somebody was overseeing both of those projects and sort of you know built some trust up there. So yeah. they thought yeah, yeah we'll, we'll let you have a go at this as well. And how do you find working with clients of that size? Because presumably you've worked with... This is going on the internet, right? Yeah. yeah <laughs> we can edit it out, but depending on what you say. But, but um, is it different working with the Argos and GXO versus, it, I guess, a, a small is. manufacturing company? Yeah, and, and it definitely took us a little bit of time to get used to. There's a lot more process. And mm. to start with, you're like, ah, you know, screw the process. We just want somebody who could say yes or no. Yeah. yeah. But then... As you learn, like I'm sure everyone does, yeah. oh, that's there for a reason. And <laughs> although it slows things down, it does also stop disasters happening. And mm. One person, a company, you know, with an agenda just causing chaos everywhere. You know, it, it traps all of that stuff. So um, in general, yeah, we, we found it we found it good. And it, and it works well with our agile process as well. As long as we can sell it up front that this is how, you know, you're not getting fixed deadlines and and absolutes on feature sets and stuff like that you can have one of them you know but it's it's agile so it's going to be your product owner and our team we're going to be generating those those milestones and you know making decisions on how to ship to a deadline but perhaps choosing what to ship there is definitely an education piece that has to happen at the beginning of those kind of working with those clients and and then it's a continual education process because they kind of want to fight the process of it and go, but mm. but we need this and, mm. and we absolutely need we need this contract signing that states exactly these things are going to be delivered. And it's like, nah, you know, this is what we told you up front. This is why you're going to work with us and why we're going to deliver for you and we're going to deliver the things that you need. And you, you know, the, the easy comeback with stuff like that is like, this is a two year project. Tell me right now what you need in two years' time as a business. Mm. No one can answer that question, right? You know, you've got ideas, hopes. Um, but in terms of writing a spec for a piece of software that lasts lasts even twelve months is a crazy notion. So, mm. so work with us. We'll keep you know we'll keep coming to see you. We'll keep seeing how your 
uh, customers use the software that we've built in terms of MVPs and things like that, get feedback, and then we'll you know work with you to go right. What's the next phase look like? So they get on board of it eventually, but there there is a there's a journey to be had there. Yeah, and like you said, uh, an education piece as well because. I we come across that don't we you know you kind of say right it's going to be this amount of time or you know slightly different for for us because we're not necessarily building it from scratch you know we've got building blocks if you like but um for me it's how do you feel that you may have lost projects because people haven't actually you're both looking at each other haven't actually wanted to understand that you know what it Mm. it it is a, a fluid process and it can go left right right left whatever absolutely yeah you say lost but probably haven't re- i mean in the sense it would have been, of, a disaster. It would have been an absolute disaster yeah. so good yeah and there, there are even cases where you know the people we're speaking to will admit look we know this is a bad decision but we just have to go with somebody who can guarantee you know sign a bit of paper that guarantees it and you know see you in 12 months yeah, yeah. yeah. They can't guarantee and, it. and, and quite often they'll be like you know We've really enjoyed working with you on this process, so we'll probably be back in touch in 12 months when this fails. We have Mm. worked on a project for an unnamed client on this instance, uh, which I think we've pitched for about three times, um, and it was always like, oh, we'll go with someone else, we'll go with someone else, and eventually the work came to us after it had not worked out the other two or three times. So Mm. um, it's an expensive way of finding that out, right? And how, yeah, very much so. How would you go about that education piece? So you want to understand what the problem is, what the desire is. So once you've understood the problem and you've understood how strong the desire is in, in your heads, how you're going to approach it, obviously the, the next piece is around, right, got it, can help you, but yeah. we're going to have to work like this. So how do you go about that? We do play the portfolio card a bit in the sense of, well, we've done it with these companies. Mm. You know, They're either bigger than you or on the same level of you. So we have to go slightly big-headed on that front right um but that helps right because you go well we've got a proven track record of delivering for nestle or gxo or whoever it is um and that is a you know it is a door opener and it does mean people are going to sit down and go right these guys have delivered you know big projects for these big companies they must they must have some idea what they're doing by now right (laughs) um so that's that that helps and then it's a case of right talking them through some of the examples of things that went well in projects not and not so well in projects and why um and by that time they're kind of you know they can start to see what we're saying they start to understand it and they're definitely saying the right things whether, yeah, they, whether the, they kind of action is another thing but um yeah. mm. it's more and more that that there are people in the business who understand it don't need the education mm. who just need a little bit of ammo to back them up internally as well okay um, so if you can find those people in in the company, those like champions who can and give them the information that they need to convince, yeah, you know their side. We'll quite often offer to do like a really small MVP as well. Like let's prove that we can deliver something for you quickly, um, and then take it from there. You know, it's a small piece. You're not having a massive outlay up front. Gives you a bit of something of what you need. See if we can deliver. See see how it goes. Uh, what sort of time buy. period does that look like? Is that, are we talking it like two, be, two week sprint? And yeah, it ship could, it? yeah. Um, in fact, that little project that you did recently was it, it was a really good example of mm. you know they had a really uh, they had a business uh, problem where um, I won't go into details just in case, but basically they they needed an employee to do an action on a on an app, 
but that employee wouldn't be either in the network coverage, so wouldn't be able to do it. So we needed to kind of allow somebody in the office to spoof what they should have done right. when they got a text message or something like that. So and that was costing them about twenty four grand a month. Wow. They were missing a bunch yeah. of KPIs basically. So yeah. we were like, okay, um, we think we can help you here, and we basically uh, looked at the a certain mobile app. Um, grabs the network requests from it and worked out how to work with this API that was completely undocumented and just built them a, a web app that did what they needed to do from from their offices, not from, you know, relying on somebody with a mobile app at that moment in time. So it's made, you know, Yeah, that was a nice a nice quick one that, that could be turned around and really provide instant value to them. You know, they weren't too bothered about, mm. you know, feature sets for this thing. It just needs to do that one one thing. It's also <coughs> gives you instant you earn instant credibility in like yeah. two weeks so they've got a massive business pain from the figures you mentioned two weeks you've gone how's that work and they're like yeah that's ace and now we want to talk about x y and yeah. z yeah. so sorry steve oh, just yeah. very very quickly then um because when you get that first inquiry or or you make contact with someone mm -hmm. they go do you know what that's really quite interesting from that first conversation through to maybe that uh, proof of concept or the the, first, the project you know going into build what's the sort of typical timelines and i'm guessing it's not uniform but yeah i'd say sometimes it will be a month sometimes it'll be six uh, there's not a lot in the middle right okay <laughs> um yeah it's either very quick you know let's get in it right this pro <coughs> this is the problem this is a long-term solution that we're looking for but here's something we can do pretty quickly and let's get going you know if we've got availability and all that obviously yeah. but yeah if it's the education piece and stuff like that then it sort of six months something like that three to six months yeah reckon? that seems seems about right you know it's it's 40 employees but effectively it's five teams five teams so it's not that and a lot of them are, are on retained work so it's it's low volume on these turnovers so you yeah, get yeah. to have a lot of conversations but you don't need them all to come in so you can afford to yeah just take them all on a little journey yeah. that, i guess that's difficult to scale up and scale down because if you've got lots of long-term projects running and then you win another big project where yeah. you need a scrum team yeah how do you do that do you suddenly well, spring you, up you make that project take you make it take six months and then by <laughs> the time you're there um okay me again just jumping in to talk about one of the processes that we often get asked to automate which is the processing of supplier invoices also known as accounts payable automation so what does that mean well most businesses receive invoices from their suppliers and a lot of businesses still have people that are manually reviewing those invoices making sure that they're correct making sure they're accurate and then manually reeking them into a finance system and already or an ERP system. Well, our solution can automate that process. So typically an invoice will come in, we'll use capture technology to understand what's on that invoice. We'll then match that data up against good receive note to make sure that we've received the product. We'll match it up against purchase order data to make sure that somebody has placed an order for that product. And ultimately, if we can match that up, we can automatically push that into an ERP system or finance system and nobody has to touch it. How good does that sound? If there are exceptions, if there are things that need to be checked, that's fine. We can use digital workflow to push that to somebody to eyeball it and say, is this correct or does something need to change? Ultimately, though, that can then be pushed again into an ERP system or a finance system. This is about making your life easier. It's about making operations as quick and as efficient as possible. And we do that all the time. If that sounds interesting, then get in touch. That's enough from me. Back to the podcast. Yeah, so there's there's also there's the stuff we've shipped 
that isn't currently in active development and then there's always going to be change requests and little bits features mm. dropping in so there's like a team dedicated to that work as well because okay. the worst thing you want to do is to get a client invest hundreds of thousands in a solution from you you ship it and then they use it for a, you know a couple of months and they come back and say right this is great Some next week oh, so you're back in the queue now sorry you're gonna have to wait yeah that um, took us a while to work out a way to cope with that properly as well yeah it? It, it was just we tried loads that, of that different team ways. has moved off onto something else yeah so they're in a completely yeah. number domain now we could yeah well, so that, we that slips into teams, another team and that but then that would be like well there's a whole ramp up phase for our, that team um and so yeah we now have like a dedicated change request team which seems to be our best approach for it now cool yeah. I'm, I'm guessing um growing a business as as quick as you have really in seven years it's not a long time to go from not much to 40 people has there been some growing pains along the way are the things that you think that you, you challenges i guess biggest can... one is getting me and john off the code i think yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah in fact and, and matt as well yeah him, the th yeah having three founders who write code yeah was hard work getting them because it's easy to fall into the trap of well I'll everyone's busy myself. i'll just do it myself yeah or i know how to do that i can do it really super Quicker. quick um and it doesn't bother anyone else from you know all their other tasks that they've got on so yeah that that's, that's taken about seven years for us <laughs> 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 you say fast as well but i don't know i, I sort of look at it as like as being quite slow growth it doesn't maybe it doesn't appear that from externally but certainly internally or well not inter internally at source but in the industry there was a lot of pressure of as soon as you get that first second third big client you know you need to get investment higher 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 mm. grow and grow and grow but we always because we're developers at heart we were we were always worried about the machine that builds the code and mm. making refining that refactoring that and coming back to it so we would have points of we'd you know maybe grow another team and then just sit at that level for a while while we learn mm. how we how we act as a free free team company opposed to a two and so there was you know little blips and, and we, we you know we have been advised by people to say right just get people in just get people in and put bums on seats it'll be fine and i'm kind of glad we have never done that because i mm. just think we've grown you know we've got a really nice group of people that work with us and it just works really well for us in that sense so, you know if we just ramped up and put in lots of random people I have no idea what the cultural source would look like right now. Mm. Um, but you know, we've got people. You know, we've got people, employees that go on holiday together, things like that. We wouldn't. I, we wouldn't have that if we had just put bums on seats. It would be mm. a very different business. Probably a lot more onboarding, offboarding as well. Yeah, more. Yeah, more we transient. Yeah, we we've, we had f phases of like really low churn rate on employees. Um, obviously sort of lockdown covid changes that because you know agent you know companies in london are going well we can hire from anywhere and double everyone's wages obviously that period has calmed down a lot mm. now as well um but yeah i think we've had yeah we've had a really good culture in the business because of the way we built it so um you've you've grown from our side of things you know quickly in 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 seven years steady controlled from your your from your side <laughs> you said, i didn't steady. say controlled <laughs> okay. All right, steady then what's the vision where, where do you want to take a source Go, mr sales uh <laughs> yeah we're trying a, a few things out at the moment we've got uh one client who has the potential to 
to grow really big and looking for investment or further investment at the moment. So it's but that's a difficult one because you know that's their business. I mean we're we're heavily linked with them, and so we, we're doing all their development. So, but it's kind of up to them yeah. if if that takes off, uh, and we'll be there to to support them. But also we're looking at productizing some of the work we've done around. Um, uh, with, with some of the clients, so the Nestle example is a good one. Um, one of the reasons we went to the multimodal logistics show was to kind of present ourselves as a product company, whereas the w- week before we went to the manufacturing conference where we were a consultancy, and it was mm-hmm. really interesting to see the different reactions mm-hmm. to the stall because it was you know we were ra- branded differently, different messaging. The consultancy, you just got everybody with all their problems, and there were great problems and mm-hmm. you know, really varied. Whereas when we put the messaging out, right, this is our yard solution, there was still quite a variety of different yards. You know, it was mainly, you know, those sort of, sort of big distribution warehouses, trucks in, trucks out. And then there was airports saying, you know, you've got a lot of freight coming in this door the, and, and trucks picking up. Wow. There's ports who have got, you know, it's the same problem, but in three dimensions, when you're stacking your containers. So we're we're looking at that at the moment to see if, but we know that that's a totally different business model. So we have to be careful that we don't cannibalize the mm. consultancy. Uh, with the ring fence and the developers that that are, are on that side, but having already built the majority of of that product, you know, hopefully that will help. What so from your um your two sort of exhibitions where you've been uh, exhibitors, yeah. what um. What were you surprised with the sort of um, traffic that you got to the store? Um, were, you know, did it exceed expectations? Is it something you've thought, right, we've done it a couple of times, quite happy with it, we're going to carry on, that's going to be one of our marketing strategies? Yeah, we haven't decided yet because we'll see how much of these leads turn into real leads, you yeah. know, and how much were just people who were, you know, having a nice day out yeah. and enjoying, Interesting in, conversations. Yeah, enjoying some chats, yeah. you know. So we'll see, but it's definitely, it definitely opened our eyes into the problems that are out there and how, so how we would approach a company, say a little more colder now, knowing what we've learned from those conferences. Yeah, and that's really interesting because when you touched upon some of the the problems that you've solved with some of the the sort of blue chip names that you that you you work with, one of the things that I do. I said earlier, I'm not overly technical, but I, you know, my role really is to open open the open the door, manage the process, understand the business case, etc., which I've covered. But it's also to tell stories, factual stories. But you know, once I've helped someone in a particular sector, I'm then looking for their competitors, really, yeah. to to then say, look, I've helped them. You'd be mad not to, because they're now working this you know way more efficiently in in these areas and sounds like you're on that same journey yeah and, yeah and also i suppose the reason i chirped in now was actually when you start understanding the problems that helps build your picture that you can then paint for them to say look i, I know those problems and, and we can help you in those areas and then suddenly you get certainly you for you going forward you get those times they're like yeah they know our business they know our our issues you know the fact that they know them and they're not just chucking darts gives you gives them confidence doesn't it to develop yeah. that conversation yeah it's really interesting to see the so there's a lot of in in, in multimodal there's a lot of logistics companies there it's kind of their showpiece bit of a bit of a annual party for them all 
they're not so much there to collect business, although I'm sure that happens. But it's the companies around it that was interesting and just seeing the numbers in different problem areas. So uh, tax, duty, imports, so loads of software over that. So that's obviously a huge problem right now. Mm-hmm. But also you look at that and think, <coughs> well, we'll stay away from that because, <laughs> you know, that's covered. Yeah. yeah, that market is, yeah, every, every other store seemed to be, you know. But then the problems that people come into and you look around, oh, yeah, no, no, nobody else is, is looking at that. Shipping containers was a was a really interesting one. Like there was companies who were just like, "Do you have any data on yards and opening hours? Because that would be really valuable to us. And if anyone can collect that data, they'd be able to sell it." Because there's just a shortage of space to leave empty shipping containers, and there's a surplus in the UK right now. So much so that people will give you a shipping container for free if you transport it to. Um, a port of which there is a shortage which is a great business model isn't it like sell your product for free and then yeah. they transport it for you and then you get to sell it for a better price once it's arrived crazy uh, right the podcast is called tomorrow's workplace today so we always ask our guests to cast their mind forward 10 years what what does the workplace of 10 years time look like I'll um, just go first. I mean, if you're doing it from a development point of view, which is basically where my head's always at as as a CTO, it's it's clearly going to be a lot of AI involved, right? I mean, you'd be bad to think after the last six months mm. that there isn't going to be a lot of AI involved in terms of not just purely developing AI tools. Um, and there's obviously every man and their dog trying to do that right now. Um, some good, some really awful. Um <laughs> But actually just efficiencies, that's really been our focus, I think, when we've been looking at AI um, around how do we how do we make the world of development more efficient? Um, I'm not talking about putting people out of work, that sort of efficiency. It's the, there's loads of just little jobs all the time that just need doing as a developer, things you do every day. Well, let some AI do that for you. Mm-hmm. Um, or you know similar problems like you're trying to remember like some documentation in your head about system X Y Z. Well, Google's okay, but if you can search with context, um, which is basically what you're doing with ChatGTP, uh, it's it's a much more efficient way to be doing those searches, those lookups. Mm. Um, so I think yeah, you'd be mad to sort of say anything but AI. I think at the moment in terms, especially in in our world. Um, yeah, developers are going to be, I guess the term is prompt engineers, the, the cool term right now. Um, that's definitely going to be a big, big thing. Can you know, you have people like, you know, five, ten years ago, you had people that seemed to be just be able to get really good results out of Google with the uh, being able to write the search, correct search terms. So you're going to have a similar thing with um, AI. You know, people c- can write good prompts versus people that don't know how to write good prompts. Mm-hmm. So you're going to see different quality of outputs. Um, and but but yeah, the world of development is going to be a very collaborative world of some AI, some humans, because there's no way that uh, any form of natural language processing is going to uh, help a client write a piece of software from scratch. I think I read something probably about four months ago in the Guardian, where basically somebody said, "Developers, your secrets out. We know how to." <laughs> anyone can now build whatever you've been doing for years it's like utterly ridiculous statement (laughs) 
um, <laughs> never going to happen, right? But it, but yeah, AI is going to help and speed things up. That's that's what will happen. Things will be more efficient. And are you using AI in client projects at the minute, or is it more of an internal? Tool? Uh, we do no, we do use not not directly on projects in the sense of writing machine learning kind of algorithms for projects or um, as such, but that will happen that will start to happen for us we will have projects around that but it will be um, it's more just like yeah writing code so writing rinse and repeat code where you can just um you know you just solve a problem you know how to do it sort of in your head but you just can't write the right line of code that you need and you just say to chat gpt or to um github copilot this is what i want do mm. it for me then you look at it it produces something semi semi useful and then you know, refine it from you there. refine it from there because there's no way it's writing as much as that Guardian article wants to tell me that it writes perfect code. It's awful code most of it, but <laughs> you, it's a starting point. It's it's pair programming. That's basically what it is. Mm. It's it's your pair programming with a with a junior or a semi experienced mid level, um, not not production quality. It is at the minute. I guess the argument would be in five years time, will it still be? No, it'll get better. Um, probably what will really happen is you'll end up with really as a much more limited number of languages that are being focused on by developers because you get because you get better results out of AI in mm. terms of when I ask when I give it the prompts I get better results for language X instead of language Y um, so you'll find and probably it'd be really interesting to see what happens in the world of JavaScript because obviously there's no compiler involved right so there's a lot more kind of throw it up and yeah, you know, it's a scripting language ultimately, but um, those compiler-based languages, which give you you run your compiler and you sorry, getting really nerdy. Here. <laughs> um, <laughs> you run your compiler, it tells you the errors. You can throw those errors straight back into your AI bot of choice, and it will go, oh, this is how you fix it. Um, so you, I suspect you'll see a lot more going back. People going back to more compiled languages. I'll stop being really good, early. Though. Good answer. I like that. We've not had that one before, but I like it. Jim? Uh, what John said. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's very hard to sort of... There, there's a there's an office of the future that I'd like to see, and then there's what we'll probably see, which will be not too dissimilar from what we've got now, because I think uh, we just move very, quite slowly, although it looks like things change, but actually society doesn't... In 10 years, it's not mm. a huge jump in time. Yeah, I'd like to think we've all, you know, we've all got our AR headsets on and we're sitting on a beach doing doing office work and perhaps we're only working two or three days a week and everyone else is on universal income because, you know, you need to work if you want to be creative. But I, I don't think that will happen in 10 years. I hope it does. Um, but on the, on the AI side what's going to be really interesting is how how new uh recruits to the industry adapt it and whether we're at, we're at the sweet spot at the moment where you have a lot of people who have the knowledge of how to develop and so they can pick up what's wrong and what's right about the code that's generated and it's and it's really good we did um a little experiment in an afternoon where we took uh a brief from a client we had years ago. We never we never did the project because it was more of a here's a great app idea you should mm. build it sort of thing. Um, and in between meetings in an afternoon, I just on a, on a framework I've not used before, just used ChatGPT to build it for me. And it from everything from deployment, setting up the database, finding a free host, 
and within about four hours it was up and people were, were using it maybe that Guardian article was right <laughs> um, but so I obviously had the context of years of development behind me so I knew what questions to ask when we asked one of our QAs who had yeah, done a little bit of, of, of test scripting and stuff like that but not really done much development they got stuck in a lot of loops mm. um, so how do we make sure that people coming into the industry get that grounding you know almost like slugging away first and, and working out of yourself to become somebody who can then interact efficiently and it you know when it works you feel like a conductor you know you're just sitting there <laughs> with commands and you know i had a sleepless night when when one of the updates happened and it, and it, it just tweaked something for chat gpt sorry tweaked something in my head and i was sort of like oh, i can do this i can do this you know and i was trying to set up a little trigger with uh, voice recognition so I could just talk the commands to get it really fast. It, and actually the speed of it was, was really frustrating. Mm. I, I, even though I knew that I could type, I couldn't type as fast as it was outputting, it wouldn't be as accurate. I was still a little bit like, come on, come on. <laughs> so yeah, it's, I, I don't know what it's gonna be like in 10 years, but it'll be interesting, is my. What are your thoughts on the fact that we've got, <clears throat> granted, this sounds like, you know, AI, ChatGPT, taking on board what you both said, you know, it's going to evolve. Mm. When customers start saying, well, if you're using AI and you're using ChatGPT, I want it cheaper. I mean, they should absolutely expect that. That's, yeah, more efficient means cheaper for, yeah. and, and the price of software will come down, which is a good thing because then those little problems that we spoke about earlier, mm. which are really interesting but aren't worth solving, all of a sudden there that price has come down yeah yeah and as a business yeah you there, there is a little bit of a disconnect between well if the coding's faster then the whole project should be faster but the other parts of the project which are at least 50 percent of it the organization the planning testing is it going to speed all that up uh, um, yeah i'm going to count on that i i'm not entirely certain it's definitely going to drop in there'll be a bit of bit drop off maybe but not masses i mean wait but you still need people to know how to ask the questions correctly right you, yeah. you still and you still need somebody to look at it and know okay does this code scale you know yeah sure some somebody in the back bedroom can write a piece of code for an iot device will it scale to the millions of devices where you can capture all that data and then learn what you can do with that data no way absolutely no way so you're still pay, going to pay premium for quality work yeah, Sorry. I, I mean, that's if you ask, like, the market expands and you've got more, you know, freelancers, programmers that, that can hit the market. But the the existing market should be able to write more code yeah. in less time, which should drive the price down or increase the amount of features you can have yeah. for, your, uh, for your budget. Let's favour the second part. <laughs> you but see you the business development people, yeah. I see. Yeah, you still got, a, you know, there's a value to the training the expertise yeah. that you've developed and you know in, in being in sales obviously you want to sell it for as as much as you can for you know for w whatever you're doing so if you can do it more efficiently get the same amount but actually then bring in the bits that normally would have been out of reach yeah then you yeah exactly. they can have a more refined product at the end of it because yeah. they've got more availability of, of time essentially the budget is still the same but mm. they've, they've got more for more value for it yeah but it's it's too expensive for a lot of problems still and I just yeah it needs to be so the app store is a really good example of you know there was a boom 10 
six, seven years ago. Everyone would have Random an app numbers. out there. Yeah. And mm. uh, there was lots of great apps out there. But now everyone has realized you can't really afford Like Nobody wants to pay no. 99p for an app you use once a month. Even though it's insanely cheap, and they, you know, they'll they'll pay two quid for a coffee or something. I don't know well, how much is a coffee these days. <laughs> then drink coffee. <laughs> <laughs> it is it's a mad it's like thought a process, isn't it? The amount of people that just want a free version of something instead, and yeah. they'll, they'll watch ads rather than pay ninety nine p. It's ninety nine p. People wake, wake <laughs> up. It's, it's <laughs> a weird. It's a weird. So there are lots of free services, or initially have been free, and now they're trying to claw their investment back. Yeah, you know, we've got a load of drama going on reddit at the moment who are sort of following twitter's playbook of uh raising the drawbridge of the api and you know the apollo developer i don't know if you've seen this mm. the, the bill that he's facing um but per user is like seven grand a month based on Oof. their api usage it's just insane so all of that stuff it's still working its way out figuring it out in the market and how you can make everyday solutions affordable to people but also fund the development of it so you know maybe AI maybe, that maybe AI will help that a little bit but also people just need to value software I think a bit more Absolutely. and if you that's exactly it yeah value software more value your data more yeah and you don't need you know 70 apps on your phone you, you probably only use you know 8 a, con constantly definitely guilty of that one yeah <laughs> <laughs> alright let's leave it there Jim, John Thank you very much for coming on. I have to say, I've worked in the kind of tech industry around here for a long time, and you guys have got an incredible reputation, both amongst customers and in terms of colleagues as well. So thank you very much. Keep, keep doing it, whatever you're doing. Yeah, well, thanks, thanks for having us. Yeah, great pleasure. Thank you.